Well, good morning again, and I truly hope that every one of y'all did have a good Thanksgiving. I kind of joked about that a while ago, but I hope you did. I know for our family, this Thanksgiving was one of those where it changed for various reasons, but it was still good uh, to have time to be with family and to thank the Lord for His goodness. Now, for many of us, though, here's what I know Thanksgiving is. It's much to do about the feast. Is it not, right? All right. We enjoy many good treats, some of which may only come on Thanksgiving. I mean, cranberry sauce appears on Thanksgiving Day, right? All right. When, how many other times of the year do you have cranberry sauce, right? No, Thanksgiving is have a time where there's typically that plump turkey, where they're baked or fried, maybe some sweet potato casserole and some pumpkin pie, right? Y'all getting hungry already for lunch today? All right. Thanksgiving is a feast, and we typically enjoy it, and I know I'm right, so I'm not going to ask you, right? Now, if we look at the history of Thanksgiving, however, the first Thanksgiving in America is commonly associated with a gathering of the pilgrims and the Wampanoag Native Americans in 1621. The exact date is believed to have been in late November in that year. The pilgrims who had settled there in Plymouth, Massachusetts, after a difficult first winter, celebrated a successful harvest with a three-day feast. They celebrated with the Wampanoag tribe because they had played a crucial role in helping the pilgrims survive by providing agricultural guidance and assistance as they were familiar with the land and the climate conditions. The feast was a way for the pilgrims to express gratitude for a bountiful harvest and to celebrate their newfound friendship with the Wampanoag. Now, whether this was the actual first Thanksgiving feast or not can be debated. However, we know that in 1863, President Lincoln proclaimed Thanksgiving a national holiday after a long campaign by Sarah Hale, a prominent American writer and editor who believed it would have been a way to help the Americans unite and heal because the country was so divided. Now, I'm not sure it's helped heal all the divisions in our country, right? But at least on Thanksgiving, it's typically a time when every American pauses to be thankful, and that surely is a good thing, is it not? Now, again, we could even debate whether Thanksgiving today fulfills its original purpose. But here's what we know. We are all better off when we remember and give thanks. It's also good when we recognize that God is the one who originated the ideal of celebrations that we serve with a purpose. Most of us recognize the name of one of the most prominent celebrations that God established, which is Passover. It was established by God to help his people remember the deliverance he provided from bondage in Egypt and provide for the people a reminder that he was their source of forgiveness and salvation. God knows this. God knows that we need times to pause and remember. God knows that we need feasts and celebrations. Now, there is another feast established by God that is going to be important for our message today. And for many of you, it's only familiar because we mentioned it a few weeks ago when we made our way through the book of Nehemiah. The feast is called Sukkot, or more commonly known as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Now, this feast was established by God to help the people remember how he had provided for them as they were in their wilderness before going into the promised land. The people were to celebrate this by going and living in booths or tents for seven days, which symbolized the tents the people lived in in the wilderness. And the people would remember how God had provided manna for them to eat and water for them to drink. Since it was a desert wandering, they definitely needed God's provision to survive. Spiritually, it was to be a celebration and remembrance of God. Now, in time, though, the Feast of Booth began to serve a dual purpose, 
as it served not only to remember historically what God had done in the wilderness, but agriculturally to celebrate the harvest that God provided annually. The reality for the people of Israel is that they were keenly aware of their dependence upon God to send rain for them for the harvest every year after they had even settled in the promised land. Living on the edge of the desert meant this, that it was not uncommon for the land to go long stretches without rain. And so during the festival, the people would pray that God would send the rain to water the crops for the harvest. You see, they didn't have all the modern conveniences found in our day to day, so they needed for God to provide the rain. And it was very evident to them, and so they were praying, God, send the rain. Now, most of you might be thinking, I really don't care about the Jewish Feast of Booze, so why are you sharing this with us? Well, turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to John chapter 7, as we look at our final invitation of Jesus for this series. Look at how this chapter starts, John 7, beginning in verse 1. It says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about it in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. And so his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. Now, if you read through your Bible, you might just quickly read over the details. But it's important that we see something here as, as we get ready to read the rest of these verses that we need to understand that what's happening here is taking place during the Feast of Booths. Verse 2 says the Feast of Booths was at hand. And if we were to continue reading on into verse 10, it is clear that the feast has begun. Now, the reason why it's so important that we look at this fact is because it makes a difference in understanding what happens in our focal verses today. Sometimes we misunderstand what we read in Scripture or this. We don't feel the full weight of what we read in Scriptures because we don't understand culturally what was happening in the time when those Scriptures were written. This is one of those cases. I've said a little about why they celebrated the Feast of Booth, but haven't explained to you how the celebration went and how understanding that makes what happens here in John 7 have a more powerful meaning. In reality, because the people were so dependent upon rain and had celebrated this feast for hundreds and hundreds of years, for many, its true significance had been lost. As I stated earlier, this feast was celebrated for seven days, and each day what would happen is a designated priest would descend from the temple, uh, headed toward the pool of Siloam in the middle of the crowded worshipers. The priest would lead a procession of the people toward the, the pool, singing words of praise, including these words of Isaiah 12, 3, which state this, with joy, you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. Now, after filling the golden pitcher with water, the priest would make the trek back up to the basin with the foot of the altar. Trumpets would be blown and palm branches would be waved in unison as chants of Psalm 118, 25 and 27 would take place where the people would say, save us, we pray, O Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You see, the people would shout Hosanna, which means save us. The priest would then hold up the pitcher of water before pouring it out, symbolizing God's provision of water for the people during their journey through the wilderness. Now, as this festival progressed through the week, the people patiently waited for the great last day. And by the time of Jesus, two variations had taken place. They'd been added to this day of the festival. 
First, when the parade of people returned from the pool of Siloam, the priest would march around the altar, this time not one time, but seven times, commemorating Joshua's victory at Jericho. And then second, the priest would raise the golden pitcher over the silver funnels as they had done each day previously, but this time there would be no water in the pitcher. The pitcher would only be empty. This signified the disobedient generation that died in the wilderness. And instead of shouts and waving of palm branches that people had done each day previously, they now stood in silence. Now, this becomes important when we get to verse 37 here in John 7, because look at what we read there. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Now, I want to make sure you get the picture. For a week, the people had been celebrating the Feast of Booths. Every day, they had been crying out to God, thanking him for his provisions, thanking God for his salvation, crying out the words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, all building to the last great day. Here in this moment, when the trumpets have ceased and the people are no longer shouting, the priests have climbed the steps and now they're with these empty pots symbolizing the disobedient generation. Jesus stands up in the midst of the silence and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, I'm not sure I've done a perfect job of setting the stage and Maybe you still don't capture the significance of this moment. So let's consider something, all right? Let's consider what the rebellion of the people symbolized by those empty pots held by the priests meant. Because the people had rebelled against God, it had caused for them to have a spiritual thirst in their lives. And let me say this real quickly. It's a danger we all face, right? In Jeremiah 2, we see two things that cause this spiritual thirst in the lives of the people. And let's look there. God speaking to Jeremiah said this. He said, my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Look at these two things that have caused the spiritual thirst to the people. There's first this, a general disregard for God. These words in Jeremiah were written about a people who had, had great evidence in their life about God's existence, about his goodness, and it's about his care for them. The Jews of all people should have been and should be a people who understand and know God. They were and are a people who experienced God do miracles, who knew his miraculous provision, who had many prophets that reminded them of God's love. Without a work of God in their lives, the Jews were a people who should have understood that they would have been destitute, most likely still slaves in Egypt, mostly lacking many things in their life. But God had provided above and beyond for their needs, even making them a great nation. But what did they do? They forsook him according to Jeremiah. The God who was their source of provision, as it said here, their fountain of living waters was disregarded by the people. At times they meant they followed false gods. At other times it meant they failed to follow any God. What was clear is this. They failed to acknowledge the one true God's work in their life. They ignored him. Folks, this is actually like many people in our day today, is it not? 
Yes. All right. Many people today fail to acknowledge God in their lives. We too, hear me, are people who have every reason to know God's goodness, his provision, and his love for us. I mean, first of all, we have his word that confirms it to us, right? We, we can read this and it tells us of God's love for us, his provision, all those things. But if we even go back in the history of our nation, here's why clear that God has been at work to help our nation be what it is. And then think about this. Individually, we've been blessed by God. Again, if you don't think that's true, just go travel around the world just a little bit and you'll see the blessings that we have and you have because you live in America. Thanksgiving has just passed and should have provided an opportunity for us to thank God and remember his goodness to us. But what have we often done? We have often forsaken God. In fact, many in America have turned to false gods or they put themselves in a category called agnostics or atheistic where they either don't fully acknowledge God or they deny God altogether. In either case, many have forsaken him. Others may not go to that extreme, but what they do is simply live life without really considering God's will for their life, which is practically living as if there is no God, right? What, what has this failure acknowledged caused in our nation? Here's what it's caused in our nation, a spiritual dryness, right? What has it caused in individual lives? Here's what it has caused in individual lives, a spiritual dryness. And this dryness manifests itself in depression, anxiety, violence, dissatisfaction, and brokenness of other kinds. And folks, aren't all those things at an all-time high, it seems? Why? Because we have a spiritual dryness, all right? One thing is sure in our day, people are spiritually dry. A disregarding of God causes spiritual dryness. Now, a second thing people have done, according to Jeremiah 2, is they've dug their own cisterns that do not hold water, all right? In other words, a seeking of satisfaction by their own hands. If you don't know what a cistern is or was, here in Jeremiah, it would have been a common water storage system used to capture rainwater. The construction and design of cisterns varied, but generally they were built by digging a pit or cutting into natural rock formations. The interior of the cisterns was often plastered to prevent water seepage. Some cisterns were also even lined with stones or brick. So they waited for the rain to come and fill up these cisterns. The problem with some cisterns is this, is they would leak. They would not hold water. The people back in Jeremiah's day, listen, they longed not to have a cistern in their life. You know what they really wanted in their life? They wanted an artesian well. Do y'all know what an artesian well is? No? They didn't teach y'all that in school? Our artesian well is a naturally flowing well. It comes, that water flows on its own, all right? It's an artesian well. It's water that comes from underneath the earth and it naturally flows, all right? You don't have to wait for the rain. What the people in Jeremiah's day wanted is they wanted an artesian well where the water came. They didn't need a cistern, but what they had done in their lives, they, they knew what these cisterns were and they leaked. And here's what Jeremiah was saying. The people have done that with their lives. They have built cisterns. Rather than finding a flowing, living water, they were trusting in their own cisterns that that was not holding water. Here's the point, that the people were trying to provide for their own satisfaction and it didn't last. The things they pursued for satisfaction at some point simply ran dry. They were pursuing satisfaction by their own hands, but their lives leaked and it didn't hold water. It didn't satisfy. Now, if you were to make this relevant to us, this dryness comes to lives when people pursue things like wealth, fame, power, or pleasure to find satisfaction. Some of those things might provide a temporary pleasure, but they never satisfy because they do not hold. 
Any relief they bring is only temporary and eventually runs dry because the temporary pleasure leaks from their lives. Jeremiah's words to the people was basically, when you look to anywhere but God for satisfaction, you will not find what you're longing for. You will end up thirsty. You see here in John 2, or John 7, as the people celebrated the Feast of Booths and the priests held the empty pitcher of water symbolizing the people's disobedience, the people would have or should have been keenly aware that what the disobedience of the people led to was a spiritual thirst. It's in that moment they should have been keenly aware that what they needed was living water from God. That's what they'd been crying for. That's what they had been praying for. And that's when Jesus stood up and he said to them, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Clearly what Jesus wanted the people to understand this is that he was the promised Messiah, that he was the one who had come to quench their thirst. You know, maybe I should have pointed this out earlier, but since I didn't earlier, I will now. <clears throat> but what we need to see is that when Jesus says, come to me and drink, this statement comes during a series of events where the people are constantly debating who Jesus is and whether he is the Messiah. For example, in verse 25 and 26 here in John 7, here's what we read. It said, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? You see, the people know that the religious authorities had been trying to kill Jesus, but really had nothing they could do to him. So the people began to think that maybe privately the authorities know that Jesus is the Messiah. They just don't want to say it. Apparently, even back in those days, the people wondered if the authorities kept secrets. Okay. Uh, this questioning by the people is just one of the many examples I can pull from the text that shows the people are wondering if Jesus was the Messiah. And in the midst of this wondering, at a time in the feast when the people are really proclaiming their need for God to quench their thirst, when they are proclaiming that they understand that spiritual thirst comes from their disobedience, Jesus really proclaims who he is and he gives the invitation, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What a great invitation, is it not? If you are thirsty, come drink. And look what he goes on to say further in verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Here's what good about what Jesus offers to us. He offers to us a river of living water flowing from our hearts. I mean, do you understand what he is saying here? Jesus is offering to us a source of satisfaction that never ends. Jesus isn't offering a taste of something good that just leaves us longing for more. Jesus isn't offering to us a cup of water that is good while it lasts, but goes away quickly. He is not even offering to us a pond or a cistern that dries up when the rain stops. He is offering a flowing river that means it is continuously and it is a living water that fully satisfies. Does that sound good to you? All right. Oh, sure hope it does. Because in reality, hear me, there is a hungering and a thirsting inside of all of us for God. All right. Maybe the psalmist says it best when he wrote this in Psalm 63.1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
You see, when we think about this longing for satisfaction that we have in our lives, this longing that we make every attempt to fill but struggle to quench, we need to know it is actually a thirst for God and a thirst that can only be quenched by God. We are often turning to many things in this world but failing to turn to the one who satisfies. And yet Jesus has given us the invitation to come to him and drink and experience living water. Look again at what Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Maybe you're hearing this and you're saying, man, I want that. I, I want to be satisfied. I, I want this living water. I want my thirst quenched. If that is you, notice this. The way to find living water is through faith in Jesus. See, if you're wondering what you have to do to have it, you need to know it's not about what you do. It's about who you know. Right? Jesus didn't say do this and find living water. He said, whoever believes in me will have this living water. The question is, do you know Jesus in your life? Have you placed your faith in him? We have to remember that the spiritual dryness we face in life really comes because of our sin and God's remedy for sin is Jesus. He came to pay the penalty for our sin and came so that we might have a way to be forgiven, that we might have a way to be right with God and in the process, find a thirst for our soul quenched. Jesus came that we would find the life that we are longing for. In fact, a little later in John, Jesus shares some important words. In John 10, 10, he says, a thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I'm here to tell you today, if you want your soul quenched, if you want true abundant life, it is only found in a relationship with Jesus. It is only found as you place your faith in him and trust your life to him. Now, some of you may follow up and ask, well, Brother Scott, how do I know if I've truly believed? Some of you say, I, I think even I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, but how do I know that I have believed in him? That is a great question. And I have no doubt, all right, it's one that many of you want the answer to. Many of you say, I've been a Christian for many years and I still ask that question, how can I be sure? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. If you're wondering what I mean by this, Jesus said, if you believe, you will have rivers of living water flow from your life to which some of you will say, well, what, what really is this living water to which I say, Jesus gave us the answer to that as well because look at verse 39, he says this, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, how do you know today? How do you know today if you've truly believed in Jesus? Here's how it is. Because you've received the Holy Spirit. Okay? This truth is confirmed in Romans 8, 9, where it says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You see, according to this verse, if one is in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, and to have the Holy Spirit is to be living in the Spirit and not in the flesh. It is to be living differently. And when the Spirit comes to live within a person, there is something different that cannot fully be explained in human terms, but it is a living, flowing water within a person that stays there, that quenches your every thirst. You see, when you have the Spirit, there is some things, in fact, you experience. What is this? If I have this spirit, what are the things I experience? How do I know even I have the spirit? I'm going to say this. Number one, you experience that you have a helper who is a truth teller. You know, in John 14, Jesus is teaching his disciples about this Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus was walking on earth, the coming of the Holy Spirit had not been fully realized. That's what he said in John 7. In the Old Testament, you read about the spirit of God being with people. But Jesus spoke about the spirit would live in us. 
He wanted his disciples to understand what the coming of the Holy Spirit was going to mean to their lives. And he said this in John 14, 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be what? In you. Now, the Holy Spirit's presence is spoken of here by Jesus. It can be hard to quantify, but you need to grasp his promise. The fact that the Holy Spirit is described as a helper who will be with you forever and who will dwell with you and is in you has to be a comforting thought, is it not? All right. For me, knowing that the Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, gives me great comfort that no matter what is going on in life, I can face any challenge knowing this, that I'm not alone. That that, that I can face any challenge knowing that God's presence is with you. Now, some of you may not understand this reality or believe what I'm getting ready to say if you haven't heard me share this before, but here's the truth. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't be in front of you today. I wouldn't be here today. I do not like to be in front of people. Absolutely do not. I'm the kind of guy that would rather be back in the corner, hidden, nobody noticing me, just plain and out of sight. That's who I am naturally. Now, some of you are gonna say, I don't believe that, Brother Scott. I'm here to tell you that's who I am, okay? If I could be who I wanted to be on an everyday basis, I would be unknown, I would be in a corner, I would be keeping to myself. I would not be speaking to you today. But how am I up here? How am I sharing this Sunday after Sunday in front of people? How do I even lead as I lead on a day-to-day and a week-to-week basis? It's because the Holy Spirit has been in my life and God won't allow me to sit in the corner. You hear me? He won't allow me to do that. Otherwise, I would. See, I'm even the guy who's not very intelligent. I'm not very articulate. Some of you heard me speak. You know I have a hard time with words, right? But yet God allows me to be up here week after week after week. The Holy Spirit, I'm here to tell you, is an amazing thing. And I wouldn't make it one day without his strength. I know of nothing else. Here's what I know. If nothing else, I know the Holy Spirit is there for me always. He helps me always. In fact, in Romans 8, it says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You see, no doubt the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses and a believer can be assured that the Holy Spirit will help you even when you don't know what you ought to pray for. In those times, the Holy Spirit will intercede for you. Amen? What a great thing. I also appreciate the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. That helps me know that when I'm wrong, guess what? He's gonna show me. Amen? Now, you might not like that part, but it does. And trust me when I say he's had to tell me a few times in life that I was wrong and he was right, that I was living by a lie and he had a word of truth for me to live by. The good news is when I change and live by his truth, life is better. Okay? When you live in Jesus and believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And every believer, hear me, every believer gets all of the Holy Spirit when you believe. Get it all. If you want to know whether you belong to Jesus, you have to ask, do I have the Spirit? Now, I know that we want something a little more quantifiable, right? You say, I hear that, Brother Scott, but still, I can't quantify that, right? Shake your head this way. I know how you're thinking, right? Let me share with you something else you experience when you believe and receive the Holy Spirit, this living water of God. You experience the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5 tells us, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let me tell you something that brings thirst to our lives. Are you ready? Hatred, unhappiness, brashness, reckless living. What the Spirit offers to us is just the opposite. All right, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You, you know those are things you long for, and when they're in your life, life is better, is it not? Yes, yeah. Say, say life is better. Yeah, life is better when you got the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So listen to me. When the Spirit is in your life, those things should be present Let that sink in for a little bit, right? <laughs> All right. Here's what some people think. Some people want to look. Some people look and say, well, if I've got a spirit in my life, man, something crazy. Got, I mean, I got to have this some emotional experience where the Holy Spirit takes over and I'm out of control and, man, things are going wild, right? That's when I got the spirit, right? Well, it said the spirit gives me self-control, not out of control, right? That's one example, Right? But when I look at this, all these things, it says, if I truly have the spirit in my life, my life is going to be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so here's the question I want to ask you today. If you're a believer and you say the Holy Spirit is in my life and I'm living the Holy Spirit, are you leaking the Holy Spirit? Are you leaking love? Are you leaking joy? Are you leaking peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness? Are you leaking those things in your life? Because that is the evidence that the Spirit is in you. Do y'all not like that? Now, I'm not saying you're perfect today, right? You're not perfect. We all have moments when we're just the opposite of those things, right? But here's what I know as a believer, okay? If I have the opposite of those things in my life, I don't feel good about it because the Holy Spirit says, listen, I'm here and you're not acting the way that I'm calling you to act and you can't feel good about it and you need to go make it right. Amen? Right? That's what he does. But if the Holy Spirit is, is that living water, the fruit of the Spirit are there, right? And so I've got to ask you, if they're not there, have you believed in Jesus? And if you haven't trusted him, today is the day to do that because those spirits, those fruits should be evident in your life. And here's really what I want you to see, Okay. Your soul today is thirsty for God. Some of you might say, no, it's not. If that's you, I just want you to be aware of this, that people can be thirsty and not know it. Right? Physically, people can be thirsty and not know it. Did you know that? Some medications reduce people's ability to detect their thirst. But most of the time, it's busyness or distractions that keep us from sensing our thirst. Why do people have heat strokes? Do y'all know why? Because they are hydrated, they're, they're thirsty, they need to drink, but they're so busy doing what they're doing that they're distracted and they don't even recognize their own thirst. And so they have a heat stroke, right? Because they didn't recognize their thirst. They were distracted, they were busy. Right? Right. Now, recognizing your thirst physically or not recognizing that can be dangerous, but let me say this to you. Not recognizing your spiritual thirst can have eternal consequences. And just as we fail to notice our physical thirst, physically people can fail to recognize their spiritual thirst. We too let busyness 
or distractions keep us from recognizing our spiritual thirst and, and many fail to ever turn to God and find their thirst quenched. In fact, I want to ask you this question. Do you hunger and thirst to be satisfied? Matthew 5, 6 says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be what? If you truly want to be satisfied, it comes when you hunger and thirst for righteousness and righteousness can only be found in Jesus Christ. In fact, here is really the question that we're left with. Have you recognized and accepted Jesus as your savior? You know, I really wish I had more time to look at what happened here in John 7, but I hope at least that what is clear is that when Jesus gives the invitation to come to him and drink and find living water, he's clearly letting people know who he is. He is saying, listen, I'm the savior. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who can forgive sin. He is saying, I'm the one who can satisfy. He is saying, I'm the one who can give eternal life. What he says here really requires, though, each of us a decision. Will we accept Jesus as our Savior or not? Because you accept him and live and believe in him, and you find that quenching, or you don't, and you live in your thirst. And ultimately, the decision is yours. In fact, look at the next few verses here following Jesus' statement in John 7. It says, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Other says, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. What we see is various reactions happen to Jesus' statement. Some recognized who he was, others wanted to deny who he was. Clearly, there is division among the people, some accepting and some rejecting. And I'm going to say this, the same is going to be true this morning. There will be some of you who heard what I said who accept Jesus, find the forgiveness that he brings, receive the Holy Spirit in your life and be changed and satisfied and others will leave here thirsty again. Which one will you be? Which one will you be? What is your decision this morning? You see, no one can make the decision for you, but Jesus has given the invitation, come to me and drink. And my simple question to you is, will you accept his invitation? Many of you here this morning say, I know that invitation. I heard it years ago and I accepted it. Praise God, right? Here's my hope and prayer for you today, that you're living, all right, experiencing that living water each and every day that you're letting the Spirit of God control your life. And so each and every day, you're living out the joys of that peace, that patience, that kindness, that all those things, all right, in your life, that you're living those out today. But if you're here today and you say, I don't know, I'm still empty inside, then maybe you need to ask today, do you truly know Jesus as your Savior? He is indeed the only one that can satisfy. And in a moment, we're gonna have an invitation. We're going to open up this altar for you to come. Brother Jacob will be here to receive you or to talk to you. If you say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him. There'll be others. If, if he gets bombarded by people, others will gladly come and share with you about this Jesus who loves you, who cares for you, who died for your sin, all right? The question is this morning today, are you going to live in your thirst? Or today, are you going to be quenched by Jesus Christ? His invitation is come to me and drink. Come and find that living water. And will you receive that invitation today? The choice is yours. And you can come and deny him or you can come and be satisfied in him. And my prayer today is you'd receive his invitation. Would you pray with me this morning? Our fathers, we come to this time of invitation. I just wanna thank you for the invitation that you have given us, God, to come to you and drink and find that living water. 
Because, Father, I know that the things of this world will never satisfy. God, the longer I live, the more things even I, I get in life, the more I realize that all this world has to offer is empty and it's fleeting. And know, Father, that someday I'm going to take my last breath and all the stuff that I have is going to be left behind on this earth. But Father, I know because of who you are in me and the promise that you've given me eternal life, I'm going to take my last breath on this life, God. I know eternal life is awaiting. So I'm thankful, Father, for that living eternal water that you've given me through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, you'll help me to continue to drink from that fountain every day and let your spirit fill me and guide me and control me in the way that I live my life. And so as we come to this time of invitation, Lord, my, my simple prayer is others would receive that invitation. Father, they would receive you, receive that living water in their life as well. Receive your presence to be with them each and every day so that they can find satisfaction and find it in you. And so bless this time, I pray. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name, amen.